1: Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet.
0: Welcome back to TFR for part two of the discussion with Stuart Larkins and Ezra Galston on emerging startup ecosystems. In this part of the interview, we cover questions including the guy's opinion on why the majority of high net worth accredited investors have never invested in venture. How Chicago Ventures has been so successful yielding follow-on funding for their portcos having been ranked the second seed fund in the country for follow-on funding by CB Insights. I also get Stuart Nezer's opinion on how the role of VCs will change in the coming decade as these different ecosystems evolve. They then provide some advice for entrepreneurs and investors that are working in these emerging ecosystems. And we'll wrap up with their final thoughts, my takeaways, and a tip of the week. Here's part two of the interview with Stuart Larkins and Ezra Galston from Chicago Ventures. So putting aside the institutional LPs for a second, in my own discussions with high net worth retail investors in the Midwest, I've often found that most have 0% of their portfolio allocated to venture. Why do you think that's the case? And what do you think
2: can be done to encourage greater
0: LP allocation to
2: venture?
1: That's a layup for Stewart.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I actually don't uh, necessarily agree with that. I mean, we touched on a little earlier the makeup of our fund. Our first fund was 100% individual... Um, investors, uh, a lot of people scream and run away from that who are venture capitalists, but it's been very helpful for us. Uh, I think the reason we were able to get a lot of high net worth individuals to come into venture is because of some of the recent successes, right? You know, with uh, Grubhub, CleverSafe, Trunk Club, Field Glass, all those um, some really high profile exits. People are saying, "Wow, you probably can make some money in venture." So we focused on bringing in that uh, that investor type and have been successful. Um, the second fund uh, is a similar makeup um, as well. So I feel like maybe it's just Chicago. Most of our money did come from just Chicago. We have a few um, outside of the, the region investors, but uh, I feel like they are getting a little bit into venture now.
0: Certainly, I've seen that in the tech community and certain parts mm-hmm. of the financial community. But outside of those, uh, usually people look at me like like I'm crazy when I mention oh, yeah. venture. <laughs> I've,
2: I've, you know, I've had plenty. Of probably, I met with two hundred people in the last year and a half, and you know, a hundred of them did give me those blank stares and say, "Venture what?" <laughs> but there are, um, you know, it's it's. I think the ones where we really had the most success are going to entrepreneurs, folks who, kind of, you know, are seeing recent successes in venture. Wanting to have part of this uh, be their their capital allocation. Another thing that's really attractive to these folks is they use use us kind of as their uh, deal flow, right? So we get a lot of our not as their deal flow. They use us to react to their deal flow. So a lot of our investors send us deals. We probably get uh, five a week from different investors, and you know our mo is they send us we take a look at it. If we like it, um, we'll get back to them. And a lot of times they co-invest with us on the deals too. So, and then uh, a lot of the more successful entrepreneurs also want to give back. And, you know, it's really, as, as you know, you do enough of your own angel investing, it's hard to manage that plus have a full-time job. So they look at us as their extension of their, um, investor and, and give back into the community.
1: Mm Mm-hmm
0: while we're talking about the fund here, CB insights listed Chicago ventures as the second ranked seed fund in the country for rate of follow on funding. Why do you think you've been more successful in that regard than more established seed funds?
2: I, I think it's a, a, little, a little goes back to the ecosystem of the companies that we're investing in and what the businesses are trying to do. So we're You know, it could be good and bad that we're probably not making as many risky investments as you see from early stage funds in the Valley. So a lot more of our companies have solid business models to start, getting really good traction. So they're getting follow-on investments, right? They don't tend to die as soon as companies in the Valley do, but they're also not, you know, shooting for the moon or trying to be the next Google or Facebook. So that's probably a a good reason for it, Ezra.
1: Yeah, I mean- I think everyone would agree that kind of failure rates of companies across the entire asset class have probably been far lower than they should have been for the last eight years just because NASDAQ's been on fire for, you know, most of my professional career, right? Fair enough, Um, The other thing I would say that I think is, it might be a little bit, it it will be controversial, so hopefully that drives some, you know, hits Nick to to the podcast, um, (laughs) is that when you understand how ecosystems work, um, especially how deal flow works in larger ecosystems, not always, but it can be corrosive, um, meaning that there are kind of concentric circles of investors who like to work together or people who chat on a regular basis, and companies can, you know, if one person has a bad experience, that bad experience can, in a in a community like San Francisco. Get to a large amount of people very, very quickly um, in Chicago uh, clearly there's an information flow, but i I just don't think that th- there's that same kind of i don 't know reactionary flywheel to one element or another i think that I think that businesses being built in the Midwest have more funding options, meaning you can you know at one point raise from a traditional institution and at another point raised from a high net worth individual and, and nobody really bats an eye. I think if you tried to do that in more mature ecosystems, people would be looking at the company with wondering with signaling risk. So it's it's a bit of a controversial statement, but I've seen it firsthand um with, you know, some of my friend groups on on the coast and, and stuff like that. So everything's a balance, meaning there's a lot of positives to that, right? And you can, company that's potentially earlier, but you know, starting to really hit an inflection point can get a ton of positive buzz and move a lot faster with better people. But you know, that's just kind of the reality. It, it tips both ways. I think we're in a good, unique spot here in the Midwest.
0: Well, good on you guys for that, that ranking, because I do agree with Stuart's point earlier in the show that the follow-on capital in some of these underserved Ecosystems is very challenging. So clearly, you guys have collaborated with some other good folks and made sure that uh, your best companies get get funding. Okay, so you know, as you see some of these distributed ecosystems evolve over the next decade, um, how do you
2: think the role of VCs will change? Yeah, it's a good good question. It's something we really have looked a lot at, and you know, one of the folks that uh, I got to know early in my seed investing angel investing career was chris Freilich from first round capital i sat on the board of a company with him early on and i really kind of you know look up to him as a a solid investor and their fund is a very successful fund and what they're doing i think is something we're trying to emulate a little bit by you know not just being capital, again, providing value for your portfolio companies. And that value comes in many, many different forms. You know, we're not as fortunate to have as big of funds as they do. So I don't have the teams that they do, but uh, we make up for it in you know, pure grit and a lot of hard work on all of our team members. But it's simple basics like, uh, you know, knowing that you've got to do a lot of intros, get companies into you know, how are your portfolio companies going to be successful? Getting them new customers, right? So we'll even get down there, help them build, you know, sales plans, sales pipelines. We'll make calls for them. We'll make introductions every way we can. We get involved in early stage uh, biz development deals with our companies, making sure that they are looking at the right ecosystems or product uh, enhancements. So we're gets really involved in marketing and looking at... Uh, how you can do successful customer acquisition, we get really uh, involved in those aspects. So I think the VC landscape's changing by not just being capital, but being a lot more of a resource and helpful extension to their management team.
1: I would add kind of one nuance on the emerging ecosystem part of it, um, which I'm personally focused on here at at CV. And again, this might be a little bit controversial, so more and more hits, hopefully everyone to the next podcast, um, (laughs) is that I think the world is getting a lot of, is getting a lot smaller. I don't think anyone's questioning that the access to information is becoming a lot more democratic. I mean, we, you know, we see that across a lot of startups we invest in are trying to provide that, right. Make information more transparent, but that, that is true for entrepreneurs and founders as well. And so if you are a, If you are an entrepreneur and you have access to investors, even if you're based in Chicago, but you have access to investors across the world, you're going to optimize for the best possible investor, not just a local investor. And so Mm -hmm. part of what's incumbent on us at Chicago Ventures, or really an investor in any emerging ecosystem, is to build a strong enough track record, or more broadly, a strong enough brand that... Even as the world becomes a much smaller from an investor entrepreneur standpoint, you are still the go to kind of local fund because i don 't think what will ever change is entrepreneurs wanting a local partner in the room. Um, I think, like Stuart said, you know we show day in and day out how much value we add on a local basis, but you want to make sure that you stay relevant, right even as the world gets smaller and as the biggest brand name firms in the world are more closely connected to entrepreneurs and in smaller ecosystems. So that's something that I think we're certainly focused on at CV. I hope we're doing a good job at building that, but our goal is to build a strong enough kind of reputation and track record that it doesn't matter who else is calling that you want to work with us as well. Mm -hmm.
2: Being accessible. So half of our companies are within walking distance of our office and we're there very often
1: as well as texting
2: pretty frequently as well.
0: Yeah. Just uh, with my own angel syndicate, I've noticed that my group of co-investors are distributed around the country, which has its own fair share of positives and negatives, right? You know, when it comes to deal flow and collaboration and working with entrepreneurs. Okay. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs
2: and or early stage investors working in these ecosystems? Find a mentor if you're an entrepreneur. You know, you need to, that's first and foremost, uh, somebody who's done it and obviously a mentor that, um, has domain expertise that, uh, that you're trying to work on or solve. So that's the most important thing. It's what I've done my entire career as an entrepreneur myself and as a Chicago ventures is my latest startup, right? I've got many entrepreneurs that are very successful VCs that I rely on heavily for advice and, and obviously mentorship.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think one of the benefits of being in the Midwest is that we actually have a lot of Fortune 500 traditional businesses. It doesn't matter what industry you're trying to operate in, there are phenomenal businesses locally that have either innovated a decade ago or are very experienced there. And it is, uh, I think, we're most impressed as investors when entrepreneurs have over-executed in that regard on minimal resources, kind of gone out to domain experts told their vision, told their story, and managed to really excite uh, a number of people who we would assume would, you know, traditionally be kind of bears on a certain market or would be suspicious of any innovation in the market. And that's, you know, I think that's something that's very doable here um, from, you know, a a high-level operator perspective.
0: If we could address any topic related to startups or venture, what topic do you think should be addressed and who would you like to hear
2: speak about it? Mhm. Wow, that's a good question. I would like um gosh, uh what's uh I can't remember her name, the woman that's uh been in the news lately taking the company to the billion dollar level.
1: Oh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. Sorry, Elizabeth uh
2: El- Elizabeth. She's back in the news this morning. Yeah, Theranos, because, yeah. yeah, Theranos, yeah back in the news this morning because she's got uh, um, some the new, Zika, Zika new products, right? Yeah. New product, release. Right. I'm like, if this actually works and she turns it around, that is the interview oh my that gosh. I think
1: oh my gosh.
2: everybody in the world would want to have, right? Yeah. Going from the ultimate highs to the ultimate lows back to the ultimate highs, right? Assuming they get back up there. Assuming they get back <laughs> up there, right. But yeah, I, I think the, the great uh, kind of not disaster stories, but the one, the things that don't go well are, are what we don't highlight enough and learn more about. Um, we always talk to the people who had great successes, but you know, I think you need to listen to people more that have had failures.
0: What startup investor has inspired and influenced you most and why?
2: For, for me, um, I mentioned earlier, Chris Fralick from First Round Capital um, had the pleasure of, you know, as a, an angel investor in a company that he led the round in, um, sitting on the board with with him and uh, learned a lot. You know, this is uh, back in 2009, right when I was getting into my angel investing before I even started the fund. So followed his career closely. Seth Levine from for, um, from Foundry Group is another um, guy that I uh, invested with early as again an angel investor and got to work with on a board of a company and both those funds are are very um, successful obviously but well known and the the founders uh, the partners are are really kind of role models for kind of what I want to want to be as a venture capitalist as I grow up.
1: <laughs> I think we're all trying to grow up in the venture world. Actually, kind of on that idea, I mean, I'm, I'm proud to have. Gone through a, a fellowship called the Kauffman Fellows, um, which is kind of a, a training ground or a, a, a kind of a almost like a YPO for kind of up and coming VCs in in the VC world. And one of the things that I guess I personally struggled with, and I guess one of the investors that I look up to is that I, I'm I'm just I'm kind of a a nice guy. I struggle to be mean. I, don't really curse um, Stewart's <laughs> given me feedback to be more aggressive you know jason dubois has given me feedback to more more aggressive and and there there's certainly a balance to be struck but at the end of the day i you know one of the people that i reach out to a lot of investors and some of them have never even met me face to face i just harass them so much by email that they start responding but you know one of them is is kind of david hornick who's the ultimate a nice guy and has managed to figure out how to use that to his advantage, even when there are people, he's certainly aggressive, but um, even when there are people who are, you know, far more, you know, alpha, whatever out there. Right. And so I think that you need to be self-aware about what your own strengths and weaknesses are. And at least in this industry, you need to, in my mind, be very aware of your weaknesses so that you don't allow them to be a pitfall, but then embrace your strengths, whatever they might be. I just, I, I don't know. I like being nice. I think it's important to give people, you know, real feedback when when it's when it's necessary. But for me, I, I needed to go out and find mentors who were also nice, but had figured out how to use that just kind of that natural personality to their advantage rather than allow it to to hinder them. I
0: just had Dave McClure on the program, and he was so calm and so soft spoken. <laughs> and I said, "Dave, what's going on here?" And he said, "You know, sometimes I'm." Fire and brimstone, but it's important to have a voice that's heard. And so I, was, I thought it was funny that he kind of ratcheted a bit back when he was on the program.
1: Yeah, I've actually had uh, so Dave mentored a few people through Kaufman Fellows, and I've gotten to spend a fair amount of time around him. And i I've, he's you know in person is is not like Twitter at least from what I've seen. <laughs> um, but you know that's probably true of it's probably true of a lot of people.
0: Was uh Jonathan Triest in the Kaufman Group with? yeah you, he's he's time? a he's a good
1: friend of mine he is uh two years behind me so i was class 18 he's class 20 is that right okay yeah. very yeah, cool there's a lot of great people in the program so
0: hilarious guy okay and then to wrap up guys what's the best way for listeners to connect with each of you
1: uh i'm Ezrich rich i'm probably better on twitter than i am in email but you know whatever works
2: yeah, he's he's the young one in the group. So um, you can handwrite me a letter and mail it to me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kidding. People do that though. Um, we got we, we do. We do. Does we that do. Still exist. It, it does. Um, so I'm Stewart at ChicagoVentures.com. Um, you have to spell Stewart the right way, and I'll let you do the research on what the right way is. But I, I'm also on Twitter, just not as active. Ezra is teaching me how to how to use it more. My kids actually are teaching me how to use social media more. It's crazy what they are doing. His daughter
1: has like a seven figure Snapchat score. She does. (laughs) does. (laughs) It might be like that. Might be top kind of thousand in the country.
2: Yeah, not sure whether I should be proud of that or not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: guys, it was a huge pleasure having you on the program, Stuart. It's been great to connect with you and Ezra. I uh, look forward to many other productive offline conversations about the startups in the area. So guys, keep doing what you've been doing with Chicago Ventures. And uh, thank you so much for doing it.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers, constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com. Forward slash investors. In this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Great follow-up to the discussion on underserved ecosystems in part two. Let's recap the key takeaways. Number one is called the key ingredients of the ecosystem. Stuart and Ezra talked about the main ingredients that are necessary in every ecosystem. They cited capital, mentorship, community, and finally time. As Ezra mentioned, Many emerging ecosystems are less than a decade old with any sort of formality. Time is required for startups to mature, for operational capabilities to develop, and for the marketing flywheel of successes to start driving more successes. Key takeaway number two is the advantages of underserved ecosystems. Just because all these ecosystems are in the development phase doesn't mean they don't have advantages over larger ecosystems. The guys cited a few of those on the show today. The first is that VCs like Chicago Ventures must really work on behalf of their portfolio companies to help them build customers, develop partnerships, and raise follow-on capital. Stewart also mentioned that it's less about competition and more about co-opetition between funds. This engenders a collaborative atmosphere within the startup ecosystem. The next point here you may see as an advantage or disadvantage But clearly there's a difference in fund thesis between underserved versus well-served ecosystems. And in these emerging areas, VCs can be more generalist and opportunistic, whereas in well-served capital markets, there needs to be more laser focus and differentiation. And the final advantage that the guys talked about is that there's less of a reactionary response to a variety of funding sources. So a startup may be able to raise capital from different types of sources before after or alongside VC capital. In an established ecosystem, this may raise a red flag and companies may suffer some signaling risk. In developing ecosystems, it's much more common and acceptable. Okay, key takeaway number three is called the disadvantages of underserved ecosystems. The first point is related to Fred Wilson's opinion, which is that there's a need for coastal VCs to come in and lead at the A round or later. Stewart affirmed the single biggest weakness of underserved ecosystems, which was follow on capital. The second disadvantage here is that there are identity issues early on in an ecosystem's development where there are limited success stories. For better or for worse, prior successes in a geography tend to drive the identity of the ecosystem. A tech mafia, so to speak, may exist in nearly every city. And those founders know how to support similar businesses better than others. Ezra mentioned the exact target mafia in Indy, which is an overall positive for the city, but also may cause investors to look only for startups that are similar. And the final point here on disadvantages is that in an emerging ecosystem with less success stories, there are a lower number of successful founders becoming advisors and mentors. Clearly, the community takes time to develop and those early entrepreneurs will not get nearly the support and guidance of those that come later. And the fourth and final takeaway that I wanted to capture is on suggestions for those in emerging ecosystems. A suggestion from Ezra for investors is that if you're entering a new ecosystem, you must be active. You must make investments. You must connect with other early stage investors located there. And last but not least, have a regular presence in the region. And finally, a suggestion from Stewart for entrepreneurs. He strongly urged early founders to find a mentor, especially one with domain expertise in the target market. Okay, let's wrap up with a tip of the week. This week's tip is called the ecosystem network effect. We often talk about startups that are leveraging network effects. Some investors, like Union Square Ventures, have built some of the most successful firms with a network effect thesis. For those that are new to the concept, a simple way of thinking about network effects is that the value for all users of a product increases as more use the product. In the past, I've written about data as a network effect and how companies like Google and even Netflix are ever expanding their lead beyond competitors due to their superior data. And network effects are so prized because they create barriers to entry, making it difficult for competitors to enter They also create barriers to exit, making it challenging for customers to leave, and they drive more value for all constituents as they grow. Both the company and its users extract more value and receive greater benefit as the number of users increase. And this all contributes to the creation of monopolistic, winner-take-all businesses. And during today's discussion, I couldn't help but think of network effects in the context of a startup ecosystem. Imagine for a second, a large web. There are many nodes in this web that connect these points to each other. And let's pretend that each of these nodes represents a major stakeholder group in the startup ecosystem. For example, startups, VC firms, angels, incubators, service providers, etc. One of the key questions when discussing the network effect is, at what point are there sufficient number of participants So that each added participant creates more value for all. This is the critical mass question. In an ecosystem's infancy, if there are only a handful of people thinking about startups, there's just not enough volume to justify the existence of key nodes. As I consider this visual, a few things become clear. The number and quality of nodes is critical the number and quality of connections between those nodes is critical. And finally, the rate at which these nodes and connections are increasing is critical. There are companies here in the Chicago ecosystem that are working on this specifically. Startups like Built in Chicago that are creating the online connectivity, and hubs like 1871 connecting various nodes offline. But in this broad distributed network, What is the key value driver? What is the tip of the spear? While so much is required for a thriving, healthy ecosystem, I do not consider this a chicken or egg problem. Is it capital? Governments? Universities? Mentors? From my standpoint, they're all important and they all play a role. But every great ecosystem starts with visionary founders building tremendous value. The startup is the keystone of the ecosystem. And as I consider this, the single most important question that comes to mind is, if every new startup that's founded increases the value for all in the ecosystem, how do we encourage more exceptional startups to be created? If you're looking for a way to accelerate your own ecosystem, this may be a good place to start. Thanks so much for tuning in for part two of this interview with the Chicago Ventures team. It was a lot of fun finally recording a conversation with some of the leaders in the investment community here. And thanks to all of you for the kind words on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. It's always great to hear the kind words about the show. And I always appreciate when folks tell their friends to check it out. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, remember to overprepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. We'll see you again soon. (laughs) Thank you.